Amen. It's good to be seen. So, before we start, good morning. Before we start, I want to have a conversation with you. And uh, it's not our sermon, but it has to do with next week. Because we've had a lot of questions as pertaining to next week. If you don't know what next week is, we're going back to service inside next week. Hey! Now, I want to read you a, a scripture that's very important in this season. And it's Amos 3.3. 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together unless they agree? You have to agree where you're going in order to walk together. Do you agree? Does that mean you have to have the same opinions? No. It doesn't mean you have to have the same opinions. And I promise you, I know people in this, in this, in this parking lot that some think we're foolish to go back to service next week. And on the other side, they think we should never have started service. You have some that believe that we should never go back to inside service. and You have a thousand different spaces between it. And as pastor, I have to navigate how we do this. And I can promise you this, there's not 100% proof, perfect way to do it. It's not out there. I've got two pastors that mean the world to me. And one of them, they're starting, they started last week. And then one of them is not starting to the end of June. I've got some people here that you have never met anybody that's even been affected by COVID. Then you have some people out here that you know someone personally that might have died from it. We have some people here that you don't know about it, and some people that you've studied all day on Facebook about it. But Amos 3.3 says, can we walk together except they be agreed? So I want to let you know that it's, I'm going to give you some practical things about next week that when we go back to service, that we're going to do. And first I want to let you know that if you're not ready to come back, that's okay. If you want to come in the parking lot, and watch on your cell phone. That's okay. But let me tell you some things that we're going to do. So when we go back to service, all the doors are going to be open. Bathroom doors, sanctuary doors, they're all going to be open. So nobody has to touch anything when they come in, right? The, the, the cafe is going to be down. All the tables there are going to be down. And we're going to have chairs in six chair sections spaced out. So that you can come and sit and there's going to be some space between you. Now, Hannah, I can already tell some people are like, oh, this is ridiculous. Trust us. Trust us. Right? Because I was having a conversation with somebody that was over the age of 70. And he said, for me, it's different. I'm older. It's not as easy as everybody else. I'm, I'm a little older. I am that person. They say, oh, you don't got to worry about it. It's just for the elderly. He said, I is the elderly. <laughs> he said, I, I got to think about myself. So we're going to space out our chairs. We're not going to have children's church. We're just going to have nursery. And that's it. Ages three and under. We just got done 
renovating our whole nursery. It's all the way totally renovated and cleaned. It looks nice and fresh. But also, we're going to have a door in the hallway now that you're going to check your child in so we know that all of our workers, they're going to get their temperature checked before they can go back there and serve. And the kids are going to have their temperature checked before they go back just to make sure that when they go back, we're safe and protected inside. Um, now, as in the seating also, now some of you say, well, I can't be too close to people. You know our huge fellowship hall? We're going to open those big doors, and there's going to be extreme distance seating in that area. So if you want to come and walk down the back hallway and sit in the very back, 30 feet away from everybody, we've got a seat for you. But if you want to come sit on the front row, we've got a seat for you. But let me tell you why this is important. The world is watching how the church responds to this on how well we can continue to open up the country. The world is watching us. We are an example to the world. And guess what? We could easily go out there. And let me just tell you, I know of a church started last week. Someone got it. They had to go right back to Facebook church. I don't want to have to do that. So we have got to be sold out to the vision of the house saying, listen, I'm a hugger, but for a few weeks, I'm going to be an elbower. And that doesn't mean we're not a hugging church. It's respecting the vision that we're going. I can promise you this. Has anybody ever gone on a trip and everybody in the car had a GPS and they had a different way that they should have gone? Oh, well, I think we should have taken a left. No, you need to go this way. No, 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 no. You know the I-45 is tied up. No, you need to go this way. But there's one driver. And if you want to go where we're going, I'm going to ask you to trust the driver. You may disagree with me. And guess what? The way you choose to go, want to go, may be faster. But I ask you, trust me, because there's a weight of being a pastor you've maybe never carried. There's a phrase that we say, and we say, lead by the speed of trust. If you drive sheep like you drive cattle, you kill sheep. And in your mind, you may be ready to run, but someone isn't. It's my job as a shepherd to make sure we go fast enough where we're moving, but not too fast where we break sheep. And you've got to trust me. You may disagree. You may not like it, but I'm asking you to trust me. And to please be wise. Thank you. Please be wise in how we handle this. If you are in any ways thinking you sick, stay home and watch. If you've got a, if you've got a temperature, stay home and watch. I ask you, as we go together, can two walk together except they be agreed? It doesn't say that they have to have the same opinion. But they've got to agree where we're going. Because we've said it before. The church has left the building. That doesn't mean that we become more of a church when we go inside four walls. There is something to say about corporate anointing. There is something to say where two or more are gathered. There is something to say. And I want to get in there faster than you want to get in there. But I have to weigh all every bit of it. I want you to grab this. 
if you have a pre-existing condition or you're susceptible to something, and I'm not saying you have to, I don't want to put you on blast, but I want the people to hear just in this parking lot, if you're more susceptible to catching things like this, maybe because of age or because of pre-existing conditions, I want you to honk. If you didn't honk, you've got to know I'm their pastor also. If you didn't honk, you've got to know I'm their pastor also. And I get it. I'm a 35-year-old pastor. But I was trained by two pastors that showed me what it was to lead at the speed of trust. Amen? Do you love me still? We're going to be wise on how we handle it. Amen? So we're going to be starting service next week. We'll be in here, inside. It's going to be great. We'll have some videos online. We'll have some information of different things that we're going to be doing. We're going to have hand sanitizer sections. We're going to have it all. If you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask. If you want to wear a bubble suit, you wear a bubble suit. But let's be the church next week. Amen? Y'all ready now, church? Hey! Now, I am excited... Because if you had to tell me one of the top five things that I believe in, that I trust, that is ingrained in my system, it's the sermon that I'm going to give you today. If you were to ask something that I am, that, that I believe in, that is so part of my DNA, it's going to be something I preach today. And you want to learn me a little bit more, you're going to learn this type of thing today. Oh, but before we start, we've got... You got, can, we, can we pray real fast? You guys, will you guys pray with me real fast? We've got some church members that, that are fighting some sickness in hospitals right now. i got some church members that are going to be having surgery coming up. And I, and I want to pray for complete healing and guidance for all the doctors, so let's pray. Father, I just thank you right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, right now that, that you are the great physician. And we just pray right now for total healing in Sharon's body. We pray for total healing in Charlene's body. We pray for total healing in Sonny's body. Anybody else that is sick, we pray for total healing. And those that are having procedures, I thank you, Father, for, uh, that, that, that you would guide the doctor's hands. I thank you for the wisdom that you have given them. I thank you for the knowledge that they have sought out. I thank you, Father, for these men and women of God. And I thank you for using them. So I pray right now, Father, for anybody that's dealing with infirmity and sickness and disease. I thank you, Father, you never stopped being the God that heals. You never stopped being the God that restores. And we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles. How are we doing live stream there, Hannah? Are we streaming good? Are we attached good? Hallelujah. If you're watching online, give me a little, little honk. Amen, amen. And make sure you go on and share. People have been watching and receiving. And we're going to read this together. Y'all ready to read together? Let's read together. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 15. Verse 11. Ooh, it's 1046. Yeah, we're probably going to be going to about 1130, I mean 1115 today. So about 15 minutes, you'll be fine. I, hallelujah. It will be good. You and your AC anyway. Luke 15, 11 through 32. 
and he said, A certain man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them their, waste, their, their livelihood. And not many days after, the, youngsters, the young son, <laughs> youngster, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with a prodigal living. Don't hop, but anybody out here, you had your prodigal days. You had your wild days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of you don't even need to honk. I just know. Verse 14, Chelsea. Anyway, hallelujah. Love you. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in the land. And then he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country. And he sent him to the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And I love that story. And I think you've probably heard a thousand sermons about that story. The prodigal son coming home. But do you know where my mind goes? What's next? Okay, I get it. The prodigal son came home. But now the prodigal son has got to live under daddy's house again. The prodigal son still smells like swine. He's got to take a bath. See, we love the fact when the sinners come home. But what does restoration look like in the house of God? What? We love it when someone that's been tied to religiousness their whole life and finds Holy Spirit and finds freedom. It's beautiful. But what is it when church doesn't look like what you're used to? What happens when you've been chasing your flesh for so long and you decide to come to God and you get saved and you go home and the beer is still in the fridge because you haven't had time to throw it away yet? What happens when you're in a dumb relationship and you're, you know you shouldn't be doing the stuff you're doing and you say, Father, forgive me. And, and you get forgiven. But you've got messages waiting for you on your phone because the girl doesn't know you got saved. What does it look like to be biblically restored? And some of you say, you said this was ingrained in you. Yes. Because Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples, not congregants, not church seatings, not attendees, not members. He said, go and make disciples. It's easy to make congregants because all I've got to do is give away a, fun, a bunch of free stuff every Sunday and make my service 15 minutes long and this church will be popping. But I was never called to make congregants. I was called to make 
disciples. I was never called to make churchgoers. I was called to make disciples. One is about making you comfortable. The other is about you following Jesus and changing the very fabric of what you look like. It's two totally different calls. Let me give you some scriptures. You don't have to turn to them, but make sure you keep them in your notes. Galatians 6, chapter, one, I mean, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the fear, Spirit should restore that person gently. Not harshly, not abruptly, gently. But watch yourselves that you may also be tempted. Next one is 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9 through 11. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in the use of my authority. The authority the Lord gave me in building you up, not tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in the peace will be with you. See, my heart is your pastor. It's not only to preach the gospel to you, it's to restore you. You can come to service and ask for forgiveness and get saved, but you still have to have restoration in your marriage. If you've been used to legalism and you've been used to just religion and not church, you may feel the Holy Spirit one Sunday, but it, you've invested a long time into dry religion. It's going to take a little bit of time for you to get freed from that old mindset. I tell you this. We love to talk about the story of the prodigal son because it hasn't cost me anything yet. But what is it to walk with the prodigal son four weeks that he's returned? Because the brother still's like, oh, here comes the prodigal son again. What is it when it's awkward at the dinner table because they're back home? What is it when the person that did you wrong gets saved in church? What is it when you get pressed and pushed and it's a little different than you're used to? What is it when you got burned by your last pastor and you have to learn to trust your new one? What is it? What does restoration look like? So today, the message is for two people. For some of you, and actually almost all of you, are still in the process of being restored. But also, you are in the process of watching other people be restored. So follow me today. And the first thing about biblical restoration that you must understand is it is 100% tied up into your identity. The identity of who you are in Christ goes directly against what you are being restored from. Because I can promise you this. There's got to be a point where the prodigal son is not known as the prodigal son. He's just the son. There's a point to where Doubting Thomas 
doesn't need to be known as Doubting Thomas. He just needs to be Thomas. There's a point to where you're not the marriage that used to be able to be close to breaking. You're a thriving marriage. There's a point to where you're not just the addict anymore. You're the freed one. You're the son. But there's a point to where we cannot identify ourselves with our sin. Because the enemy always wants to tie you to what you used to be bound with. Be that sin or religion. Identity is huge. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus is being baptized, comes out of the water, and what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased. And that's identity. And what's the next chapter happen? He gets tempted in the wilderness. Because the enemy knows, if you don't associate yourself only with the name on the side of this building, but you associate yourself with the Jesus that died upon the cross, that you're not just a member of new life, you're a member of the body of Christ. Then it's not just, I've got to act right when I'm in the building. Your identity is, no matter where I go, I'm part of the body. No matter who hears me talk, I'm part of the body. I'm different. I'm a new creation. I can't live like I used to live. But you've got to tie away that old identity. But do you know who that also affects too, Pastor Pamela? That affects us. Because what happens when someone comes through the door that's left for a while? How long are we going to tie them to the identity of, oh, you remember that one time you left? Oh, you remember that time you, you, that's not their identity. But we'll tie them to that. Oh, you remember Sadie's old days. Jesus does it, so why should we keep reminding her of her old days? And the church does this so bad. We've got to stop this. So many times people go, all right, my identity is in Christ, but it's reinforced by what you call them. If someone comes in bound to sin on the street and they get saved, how long are we going to remind them of who they used to be instead of encouraging them on who they can be? Identity is so important because we were created in the image of God. He didn't create us to just be fixed. We were created new, a new creature, a new creation. So when you are being restored, there's a point to where prodigals got to drop off your name and you're just son and daughter. Amen? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hmm. You know, it's really easy to preach. It's hard, Tyler, when someone did me wrong, comes into church. What happens when your ex-husband comes into church and gets saved? What happens when the bully from third grade comes into church? Well, what, what happens when the person you used to do dirt with gets saved? Is this a safe place for them to find a new identity? So I've got to be able to trust and, and, and forgive them 70 times 7 the same way Jesus has forgiven them 70 times 7. Because I promise you this, if you're breathing, you're going to mess up. 
If you're breathing, you're going to fall. You're going to trip. And are we a safe place to either be a body that heals or cannibals that cut off? Your choice. Second part about restoring. Whew. You might have loved me with the last point, but Tyler, you're not going to love me with the next point. I know you will. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29. Don't go there, just listen. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your that for the whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish and your whole body be cast into hell. Our generation loves talking about grace and mercy, but we need to get some old school unction about ourselves that if you've got to cut it off and you've got to get rid of it, if you've got to delete your friend list, if you've got to throw away your phone, if you, I would much rather you not have a cell phone and live righteous than have a thousand followers on Instagram and still struggle. Restoration. For years, I was struggled with lust and pornography. For years, and it destroyed me. For years. And can I say something, Pastor Pamela? You tell me if you agree. Regret of our sin won't last long enough to keep us from it. I bet some of you, and I used to do it, you'd sit there and you'd mess up. Oh, if I could just remember how this felt. If I could just remember, I'd never go back. And that's not true. How many times have we returned back to our old sin because it was comfortable, because it brought us joy. But I'm telling you this, do you know what I do? And I have no problem because I love bringing, bringing shame to my sin. There's not something I can go to on my phone lest my wife see it. There's not an opportunity for me to see it. There is so much lockdown around my house when it comes to electronics. Pastor Chris, are you saying you don't trust you? I don't trust my flesh as far as I flesh. And if you think you can trust your flesh, get ready to fall. Get ready to mess up. Because if you, I don't care if you're a theologian and you've got 15 seminaries degrees. If you think you can trust your flesh, use a fool. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. Hey, Pastor Chris, let's go to H-E-B. I can't ride with you. Why? Because I won't ride in a car alone with a female. Pastor Chris, let's go talk in this room. I can't do it. I got to leave my door open. Why? Because I won't even give the appearance of evil. I can't trust old Chris. Old Chris loves dead things. And if you want to walk in restoration, you've got to be willing to cut off everything that used to look like the old Jew. Well, Pastor Chris, my old friends, they need Jesus. They probably do. But you may not be the one right now that needs to be preaching to them. You need to go tell someone else to share them. Because if you've got an alcoholic old system, the bar is the last place you need to be preaching right now. The bar is the last place you need to be preaching. Because I know a bunch of people 
with good intentions fell into sin. Do you know that this is why I won't even pray over a woman at the altar without my wife? Because I can't flirt with this stuff. We can't flirt with this stuff. And if you want to be restored, you got to be willing to cut off some old stuff. And if you want restoration in your life, you need to be able to start telling people that you're restoring, that you're walking through restoration. Hey, you might need to take a season away. Pastor Chris, whenever me and my girlfriend, you know, uh, when we get alone, then stop being alone. But no, we'll be in separate rooms. Oh, but Pastor Chris, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. I'm rambling on this one. Cut off the old flesh. Amen. Amen. All these old conversations are going through my head. Ready for number three? For you to get restored and walking someone else in restoration? Many times it takes time. As much as I'd like every one of us to have a Paul conversion, we're more like a Peter. We're still wanting to cut a fool's ear off if he gets a little crazy. Paul gets blind, goes, gets restored, and starts preaching. Peter's still cutting off ears and getting corrected by Paul in the New Testament. It takes time. I'm not saying that as an excuse. But some of you spent years in dead religion, so it's going to get time to forget that old dead religion. Some of you spent years going to the bottle. That means you, you can't just say after a week, I'm good. You've got to invest some time into it. When I was a personal trainer, I had somebody that came up that struggled with weight. And they worked out for two weeks and came to me and said, I quit. I said, why? It ain't working. I said, how many years did you invest into that weight? Oh, Lord, I've been in yes and years. And you think two weeks is going to change it? It's a lifestyle difference. But that also means this. If someone comes into the house and they fall and mess up, are you willing to give them grace? Are you willing to give them mercy? If they trip and fall and they mess up, are we going to be the church that cuts them off or say, come close, baby. Let me pick you up. Let me get you going. Let's go. Let me speak life to you. Let's get around this marriage and pray. Let's get around this addict and cast it out. Man, let's pray. Let's walk together. Let's go. Like it says in Amos, how can we walk together unless we agree? And I agree with your freedom. Do you agree with it? But people won't be free in the house unless the church is willing to supply the blood. Amen? It takes time. See, it takes one day for the prodigal son to leave the pig pen. But it's going to take some pig time for the pig pen to get out of the prodigal son. It takes, it takes one day to get you out. But you got to kill that flesh daily. 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 Pastor Chris, it gets old. What's your other option? I don't want to go back to my old life. Death never sounded like a second good option. It takes time. Next. There's two relationships that you desperately need. 
you need a Paul and you need a Jonathan. Let me explain. Paul discipled Timothy. Timothy was an amazing, an amazing young leader. But he was an amazing young leader partly because of the Paul that instructed him and guided him. Who is the leader and the Paul in your life that has keys to your dark closets no one knows about? Who is a Paul in your life that has freedom to speak into your life? Who do you allow to call you on your stuff? Because if there is no one that has... Listen. There is people in my life that have 100% permission to call me on my stuff. There's people I go to when I'm struggling that know every bit about every bit of my weakness. Who knows about yours? But then I'll say this. Are you a safe place for someone's keys to their back closet? I'm not talking about this, Brittany. We need to talk. I mean, Pastor Lane came and talked to me about some stuff, and I want you to pray about it. This is what he's dealing with. Stop it. You should be a graveyard for bad reports. We've talked about that before. But do you know what sin wants to do? Sin wants to hide and tell you you can do it on your own. You've got it. Oh, Pastor Pamela, though, what if they see me different? I should be a lot less worried about how you see me and a lot more worried on how I look before the Father. We sometimes are so focused on how we look to everyone else when at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before God. And at that point, I could care less. And you know what? Here's the truth, Sadie. Some people don't like this because we're in their kitchen and we cooking. People don't like the fact we're talking about real life stuff. If you want a church that simply gives you two points in a poem, you're in the wrong parking lot. The world needs Jesus, not another building that just polishes up golden turds and calls them Christians. That's what we do. Some of you sit there and say, oh my gosh, he just said that. Yes, let's go to the Bible and talk about it's not promised to have a long time and we need an effective body not a full church we need a powerful body we need bodies that are walking their giftings and their callings we need people that are prophesying praying preaching and teaching we need you discipling we need you baptizing we need you praying we need you preaching we don't need to just be practicing church we're tired of that I'm so tired of that I don't want that the world doesn't want that I don't want us to make it look pretty and perfect on Sunday I want drug addicts freed on Thursdays I want addicts and, and people that are stuck in sin I want them to find the saving grace of Jesus and I'm sitting down kind of Ha. Hmm. So you need a Paul that has the keys to your back closet, but you also need a Jonathan. One day I'll teach you the full story of Jonathan if you don't know, but we all know King David was under King Saul. 
Do you know, by laws of the land, actually Jonathan should have been king because he was the son in line. Jonathan laid aside his right to be king because he knew the anointing was upon David. Who do you have in your life that's just as invested as you succeeding as they're invested in themselves succeeding, exceeding into their calling? Who do you have that wants to see you fly? Who do you have that wants to see your marriage thrive? Who do you have that's cheering you on, that'll pick up your arms like her did? Who do you have in your life that wants to go in there and when you have marriage problems, goes to your living room and says, sit down, let me wash your feet when you've had issues in your life? Who do you have that'll lay on the floor and pray over you and intercede for you? I'll tell you this, I won't always be the perfect pastor. I promise you this, I I'm going to make mistakes. I promise you this. You, some of you, could probably do it better than me. But I can promise you one thing. Pray for you and fight for you and intercede for you and be invested. That you run in the calling of God in your life. I don't have, I, I don't have all these degrees behind my name. But I've got pants that have knees worn out where I've interceded on your behalf. I may not have... 50 CDs and 100 books, but I've got hundreds of hours interceding for you. I'm telling you, find someone in your life that's just as invested in you as they are invested in themselves. Come on, Severin. Severin trying to get me excited. And the last thing when it comes into biblical restoration is this. This microphone can sit in a box for years, but it never loses its purpose. This microphone can be dismantled. This microphone can be marked on. This microphone can be lost, but it'll never lose its purpose. The last thing about being biblically restored and watching someone get restored is remembering that people have a purpose that God has placed upon their life. And sometimes the best thing you can do is in the midst of their fight, remind them of their purpose. Remind them of their purpose. But Pastor Chris, you don't know where I've been. I've messed up too much. And I'll tell you, when's the last time you got in your word? Because in Romans 11.29 it says, For the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. That means your sins couldn't take it away. Your problems couldn't take it away. Your struggles, your addictions, your religiousness couldn't pull it away. You've got a purpose upon your life. But the enemy wants to tie you to your fallings. Because he knows once you walk in your purpose, lives will be changed. He knows when you walk in your purpose, destinies will be discovered. There is a purpose to your life. So if some of you are being restored, we will constantly remind you of your purpose. If you're helping somebody walk into restoration and they begin to lose sight, remind them of their purpose. Remind them of the call of God upon their life. Remind them of why they were born in the first place. I was an accident. You know those oops babies? I was an oops baby. Oops. Yes, we're having a baby. But my God is so great. 
You are being led by a pastor that man thought was an accident, but God says, I'm too big, I'm too sovereign, I'm too good, and I'm going to lead you, and we're going to break fatherlessness over this very area with a man that I tried to destroy with fatherlessness, with a, the devil tried to destroy with fatherlessness. The very thing the enemy tried to break with me with not knowing my biological father is a staple of what we do here, raising spiritual and fathers and restoring destinies to people so the very thing the enemy tried to break on you might be the very thing that god's going to use you in the next season hallelujah so i might have some people out here that you've almost divorced your wife 30 times not knowing that when you get restored, you might start having broken marriages in your living room, watching them be restored. There's people in here, you still remember what the smell of that drug smelled like, lifting off that glass pipe and you miss it. But in the next season, you, you might even have addicts in your living room calling out demonic activity out of their life and calling out addiction out of their life. You may have come from dry old dead religion and you not know that you might have Holy Spirit services in your living room where you see God do things. Our job is to restore. Our job is to restore and be restored. So I'll finish with this. If you stay with us for a while, you may see some interesting people come through those doors. You may see some people that leave for a while and come back. You may see some people fail in front of your very eyes. And in the same way I said the world is watching us on how we respond to this whole thing, on how we're being wise, the world is responding to us to see, are we going to be a church and a body that restores the broken? Or are we going to be a body that eats our own? And that's how we decide. The biggest complaint I hear about the body today is how judgmental they can be. And I believe that that could change in this parking lot. I believe that that could change. So you know what that means though, Pastor Pamela? The very people I used to hate I might have to start praying for when they walk in the doors. Mm. Terrence, we gonna say it just because we talk. What are you gonna do when a man walks in these doors in a dress and needs truth? I'm telling you, we just, we there, mama, we just gonna say it. What are you gonna do when someone from your old life comes in and says, let me see what this is about, and you know every bad thing about them? What are you going to do when the worst of the worst comes in those doors? Because I can tell you this. There's a point you're going to reach. And hear me with grace. Please hear me. There's a point you're going to reach. And we've seen it countless times. It's where the sermons I bring you are good. But if you don't begin to walk out restoration in other people and teaching other people and begin to minister to other people, you're going to fall into either two captives. You're either going to get bored and quit 
or you're just going to look for another pastor that impresses you more on a Sunday. Or you're going to look for someone that can speak in Latin and in Greek. I can tell you this. Mike, tell me if you agree. The moment you start teaching, you learn more than you ever will learn. Learn. When you teach people and you begin to go out, well, Pastor Chris, I don't know. Start. Start walking out. Start sharing somebody. Start doing it. This is not the Chris Larson show. I am called to be a launching ramp into your destiny. And that's the purpose of New Life Fellowship. That's the purpose. Listen, some of you might say, oh, I've heard a sermon like this before. You probably have. But how well have you been applying it? You've maybe heard this from your favorite preacher before. You probably have. But how does the application look like? I don't want to be a church that just impresses the theologians. I want to be a field where there is evident fruit growing for us to see. Amen? Father, we just thank you. I thank you, Father, that this is a place, a safe place for people to be restored. I thank you this is a safe place for the broken to be mended. I thank you this is a safe place for the lost to be found for the bound to be set free, for the addict to find true freedom. I thank you this is a place for the religious can find righteousness and life in Jesus. But Father, teach us what it is to walk this out. Teach us what this is. Teach us what it is. And I want to do something a little different. And if this is you, you don't have to. You can just raise your hand. But we're going to pray for you. And, and if you, if you want to answer this call, you don't have to. You don't have to go hold somebody, but you can just stand next to your car. But if this sermon is ministered to you and you're needing to be restored, God is pushing it on you to begin to step out and to see other people restored. It's always been about you, and you know there's a calling. I want you to get out of your call right now. It may be one, it may be none, but if this, this is ministered to you, and God is pulling on you, and God is saying, man, this is a year to where I'm going to see restoration in other people, I want you to get out of your car. If you, listen, you don't have to stand by somebody, but if you, you just stand outside your car. This is a year for restoration in the house. This is a year for us to be restored and for others to be restored. Father, I pray for everyone that's standing and raising their hands inside their car. I thank you for the calling of God upon the gears life. I thank you for the calling of God upon the stewards. I thank you for the calling of God upon these families. I thank you, Father, right now that you have brought us through but you are such a good shepherd, you are going to lead us out of our old ways. I just thank you for the anointing upon these families, anointing upon these ministries, anointing upon these lives. I thank you for Laura Bartell and the ministry that's going to come out of her life. I thank you for Stratton Simmons and the anointing that comes through his life. I thank you, Father, for the new families. 
I thank you for the families that are going to see, even in the back of the parking lot. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in Brittany's life and the calling that's never left. I thank you, Father, for all the people that are standing right here. Father, I thank you right now for true restoration. I thank you for Alyssa. I thank you for Jason. I thank you for Hannah. I thank you, Father, this would be a safe place to know what Jesus looks like. And it's all to your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great Sunday.